This is the Commerce Church of the Nazarene podcast. Thank you for joining with us in our pursuit to love God and love others. This episode is a sermon from our journey through the gospel according to Matthew. Listen along every Sunday or join us on Facebook at 1045 a.m. Eastern Time. Now, here's the sermon. So there's this uh, a scene from a movie I remember watching as a kid. And I can't really remember what the movie was about. So, Mom, if you're watching this and I wasn't supposed to watch the movie because it was inappropriate, totally sorry. Didn't mean to do that. I was forced into it. But but I remember this scene in the movie. It was this battle scene. And there was a priest in there, and, and he was shooting his bow and arrow um, at the enemy as they were attacking them. And he ends up shooting uh, someone um, in, in the butt cheek. Um, and as he does that, he humorously quotes the Bible, and he says how they need to tr- turn the other cheek. You know, sounds like a, a perfect Monty Python sketch. But this this passage, this Bible verse that was quoted was something that was often used and misused, and it's still used and misused today. And our Bible passage today is one that is frequently used by people who who don't understand the cultural context or just choose to ignore it. And so this passage gets used in the exact opposite way that Jesus intended. You know, it's often used by those who wish to oppress and harm people and keep them down rather than helping others up. You know, after all, at a first glance, you know, this passage just sounds like it's advocating that we should just be a placid blob, you know, just letting others beat us for the heck of it and not really doing anything to stop it. That's not how Jesus's original audience would have understood this passage, though. To them, this passage wasn't about being passive in the face of injustice, but rather being empowered to expose the wrong ways that they were being treated. Like turning the other cheek. Many times we hear this verse meaning that we should just let others hit us. Yes, Jesus is advocating for nonviolence in this passage, but I think we really need to take a closer look to more fully understand what he's trying to say. For instance, think about it. Getting slapped on the right cheek means most of the time you're getting a backhand slap. You know, unless the person is left-handed, you know, most of the time you're going to be getting a backhand slap if you're being hit on the right cheek. A backhand slap isn't meant to inflict the most pain possible. I mean, it's still painful, but it's not trying to do the most damage. More often than not, it's meant as an insult. You know, it's meant to tell somebody that they're out of line. They need to get back in their place. You know, it's this act that is meant to humiliate and lower the other's self-worth while elevating the slappers. So turning the other cheek, it isn't an act of being passive in the face of their violence, but is an act of resisting this act of humiliation. If you get slapped and you turn back, you're going to be looking at them. You're going to be demanding, hey, connect with me. I am demanding that you give me the the humanity that I deserve. I demand that you treat me as an equal. It says if you are going to hit me, we are going to do it on an even playing field where you don't think you're better than me. I am going to demand that you treat me as a human. Or the act of suing for somebody's shirt. That seems pretty weird, right? But again, we lose some of the context of what's going on. See, back in Jesus' time, it wasn't the poor suing the poor, the middle class suing the middle class. You know, it wasn't just like you could go down to the courthouse and file a civil suit for 130 bucks. No. Back then, it was the rich who were using the justice system to sue the poor. So the poor 
they didn't have multiple sets of clothing. No, they had one set of clothing. They had their cloak, which was their outer garment, and their shirt, which was their undergarment. You know, probably would have been kind of like a dress or something like that. So what's going on? If, if this rich person is suing a poor person for their shirt, it means they have nothing. It means they have nothing left of value to pay the debts that they're being sued for or whatever is going on. They are absolutely destitute with only the clothes on their back. But according to Jewish law, as we read in Exodus, it was illegal to sue and take somebody's coat because that was the only defense that they would have had to protect themselves from the elements or wrap up at night when they were cold. So this person, you know, they're settling for their shirt, which Although it was really messed up, it was allowable by law. But here, Jesus is saying that law is wrong. He's saying we need to expose the injustice of allowing everything to be taken away from a poor person. Because if a rich man is suing a poor person for the shirt off their own back, that just means they're only being stopped from taking their cloak by the law. So Jesus is saying, offer up your cloak as well. Expose that you have absolutely nothing. Expose the absurdity of the law allowing everything to be taken away from you, except a coat. Because it's a good thing I have my coat, because I'll surely live a good and full life now. No, so Jesus is saying, offer up everything. Expose everything. It's like screaming. You've taken everything, just have my coat as well. But here's the thing, there's a little bit more going on in that as well. Because in their culture, it wouldn't have been a shame for the naked person to be naked. No, it was a shame on the culture and the society as large if one of their own was left naked. And so by offering up your coat, you're exposing your nakedness, you're turning the shame back on the system that allows everything to be taken from you but your coat. Jesus is advocating for them to stand up and demand to be treated as humans, to be treated as equals. And what about carrying a load for a mile? Well, it was a Roman law that anyone could be forced to carry a load for a mile. No more, but they could be forced to carry a load for a mile. And they had some really strict rules governing about that. Um, so they couldn't make them do, do it any longer, which I guess kind of seems fair um, on the outset. But in reality, carrying a load for a mile is a pretty big deal. You know, it's not like they could hop in their car and drive really fast with it. So imagine that you are going about your day at work and someone stops by and demands that you drop everything that you are doing and help them with this heavy load. You know, this person isn't your boss, so it's not like that they're, they're demanding you do this and you're still going to get paid, no. So this is likely going to take at least an hour, if not much longer, to do this thing that they are asking you to do. So if you're in the middle of your job, too bad, so sad. You're going to have to take away time from your life and go and do this because the Roman Empire says they're more important than you. And so Jesus says, you need to go above and beyond what you are asked to do. Shame the oppressors with their way that they think it's okay to force you to do it for a mile, but not two, because that's, that's too much. Jesus is saying, force them to recognize that what they are doing is wrong. It's not okay to risk the lives and livelihood of people for this political machine. I believe having a proper understanding of these verses and their cultural context really helped us make sure that we don't misunderstand what's going on here. 
Jesus isn't telling us just to be passive and let people just beat us and misuse us. No, Jesus is saying we need to stand up for ourselves, that we need to demand to be treated as human. And yes, he's doing it in a nonviolent way, but Jesus is saying we should not allow these systems of oppression and injustice to exist, that we shouldn't just ignore them, but we need to stand up and say, hey, these people are being mistreated. I am being mistreated. I demand that you treat me as an equal. I demand that you treat me as a human. Instead of being a passage that is all about passivity, the scripture is telling us that we need to stand up and demand to be treated with dignity and equality because we're human. Today we've been focusing in on the end of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus used the bold statements that Pastor Matt helped us understand what Jesus was really meaning. And, and Jesus uses these at the end of, of chapter 5 to really bring our focus in on how we should be the salt and light of this world. We've been talking about that over the last couple weeks. And here, Jesus uses these sayings that were meant to, to put a cap on revenge, right? So that revenge wouldn't run away and run rampant. But now Jesus is offering He's, he's offering this new sort of justice, this, this justice that is creative, and it's healing, and it, and it brings about restoration. Instead of repaying evil with evil, you're repaying it with good. And Jesus essentially is saying, it's better to have no vengeance at all, right? And, and what Jesus does here at the end is just so, so amazing. He again says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now we've seen Jesus use this phrase before, you have heard it said. And each time he does, he pulls from somewhere in the Old Testament, this law that God had given them for them to be able to act in good ways in this world. But here, what Jesus does is so fascinating. Because you can look back in places like Leviticus 19, where it does talk about how you should love your neighbor, but it never says anywhere in the Old Testament that you should hate your enemies. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's, he's reminding these people that they've taken God's law and they've twisted it, right? They've, they've taken what, what God had given them so long ago and what they had done is they had begun to make that scripture their own and make it say things. So then when he follows up and says, But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for people who persecute you. What he's doing right here is he's calling them back to the law and forcing them to relook at it and say, Where have we taken this in our own direction? And here he's saying, hey, instead of going out and acting like everybody else does, I'm calling you to something different. I'm calling you to reflect this astonishingly patient and loving God. And it's this, this bold statement that Jesus throws out at us. And at the end, you can see what he says in, in verse 48. He says, you must be perfect, 
just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Say what? We have to be like God himself? What does that even look like? Well, Jesus tells us, right? So jump back into the scripture, and he says this, verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for people who persecute you. That way, you'll be children of your Father in heaven. After all, he makes his sun rise on bad and good alike, and sends rain both on the upright and on the unjust. How do you know what God is like? Jesus says, stop and look at the weather. Think about that for a second. Jesus is saying, even if a farmer treats his employees well, is fair and just, gives them good wages, or if the farmer treats them like slaves, is awful to them, disrespects them, dehumanizes them, it doesn't matter to God. He'll send rain for both that good farmer and the bad farmer. You see, for God, and I think even for Jesus, he, he views the world in this, in this God-saturated view, right? Where every breath, every meal, every friendship, every little thing that is good comes from God, the Creator. And here we, we get this glimpse into to who God is, God's economy. It doesn't treat people according to how they behave. Sure, at some point, God will bring justice. But right now, Jesus is saying the way that God works in this world is just like how he treats people with the weather. You see, God is just pouring out pure grace and generosity. I think the psalmist puts it so well for us in Psalm 145. Yahweh is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Yahweh is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Jesus is bringing all of this together here at the end of chapter 5. And he's saying, we aren't called to make people pay because they've done evil things to us, because they've hurt us. No, we're called to act like the God of the universe who pours out good on everyone, no matter what they've done. Paul says this later on in Romans 12. He says, don't heap more evil on evil people. No, heap good things on them. Let justice be God's. Your role in all of this is to pour out grace and generosity. And all of this is, is pointing us to allow the same love of God to expose the evil that's out there. That's exactly what Pastor Matt was talking about. If we pour out love onto evil, love onto injustice, love onto areas where people are being dehumanized, 
We're exposing evil for what it is. And what's so amazing about what Jesus does is he never asks his followers to do something that he hasn't done himself. You see, when they mocked him, he didn't respond. When they challenged him, he told quizzical, sometimes even funny stories that forced them to think differently. When they struck him, he took the pain. When they put the worst bit of Roman equipment on his back and told him to walk a mile, he took the heavy cross on which he would later be killed and he carried it through the city to the place of his own execution. You see, when they nailed him to that cross, he didn't react in anger. He didn't react in any way except for praying for those who were killing him and asking that God would forgive them. For Jesus, he's not asking us of anything that he hasn't already gone through. And what is he asking us? He's asking us to come back to love. The Greek word there for love is agape, and it brings about this, this idea of love as an attitude, as an action, that it's something that we choose to do no matter what we get back. And we look at it sometimes and we say, yeah, but Jesus wasn't human. That's how he could do that. Of course, he could go and be that example of love, but I can't do that. Like, you don't know me. <laughs> no. Jesus was human. And the reason he embodied this was to show us that we could do it too. You see, I think we get tripped up with this, this word perfect that we find at the end of Matthew chapter 5. Really, that word perfect in the Greek means it's, it's more of this idea of mature or coming to completion. Now think about that. Jesus, who he was, he was perfect because he was fully complete in being human. He was what we were always meant to be. So what Jesus is saying here is that we need to strive to be mature. We need to strive to be fully human. And what does that look like? That means that we are never more like God than when we are acting out of love. This attitude that drives our actions. This choice to be love in this world. You see, we are never more like him. We participate in the heartbeat of what and who God is when we act out of love. One of the most profound examples of that that I see in culture is Martin Luther King Jr. I think he's a great 
example of how this isn't just some nice ideal that Jesus puts out for us, but it's something that we can live. You see, he was so impactful in our culture that that people name streets after him, right? We have days that are dedicated to Martin Luther King Jr. We have school, my school growing up, my elementary school was named Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary School. And you sit back and you say, why? Why do we hold him up so highly in our culture? Because he reflected God's heart to this world. This love that is at the core of who God is. He reflected it in a way that made us realize we can all live love. I love this picture of Martin Luther King Jr. You see, at the core of who he was, he exposed evil for what it was, not repaying evil for evil. This picture was taken in 1963. And it's a picture of a burned cross that was in his front yard. And on that day, when he saw that cross out there, Martin Luther King Jr. decided to put on his best suit. And he walked outside, he picked up the cross, and then he uttered a prayer that God would show favor on those who did this. That God would bless the people who came and put a burning cross in his front yard. You see, Martin Luther King, he, he was a man that had flaws, just like all of us. But this idea of love that was an attitude and a choice that drove him to action, it was at the core of who he was. In a book called The Strength to Love, Martin Luther King says this, the ultimate weakness of violent retaliation is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. So it goes. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to the night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Martin Luther King Jr. took what Jesus said to heart, and he applied it into the situations he found himself in. And I think that's what we have to do. See, Pastor Matt talked about the examples that Jesus had given us. But now what we need to do is think about that generous love of God and how we reflect that into the situations we find ourselves in. And how do we do that? 
despite all the pressure, maybe our own anger, our frustrations? You see, how do we reflect that generous love during a time and place that we find ourselves in? In a country that is so divided and it's filled with, with anger and hatred towards each other. You see, how, at the core of everything that we do, how are we loving our enemies, the people who are different from us, the people who have different thoughts on everything that's going on? How are we exposing injustice in our world? Are we doing it with hateful words? Are we doing it in a way that embodies this generous love? Right? How, how are we standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves, who are being treated unfairly, who are being stripped of their humanness? Not only that, but how do we do that without stripping our enemies of their humanness? You see, when we don't reflect God, what we're doing is we're just simply diminishing his voice in the world. You see, life is not defined by what you have, but how you love. Jesus is urging us to stop and think about what we are reflecting to the rest of the world. Because what we reflect is how people will think of God. And we know how God acts. We just read about it. So what does that mean for us? Well, that means we need to think before we act. We need to think before that post on Facebook goes out, before we click that share button. Think about what that is saying about who God is. We need to stop and think before we go and we, we say things about our governor, we say things about our president, whether they're good or bad, it doesn't matter. We need to embody a generous love that we find in the God we follow. We often jump to criticism and we point out different actions that people take and we tear them apart and we react to people in a way that, that brings about more hatred, that brings about more disgust, that doesn't really lead to love. And so we need to pause before we speak and before we act. We need to have God's eyes towards this world. Those eyes that pour out rain onto the good farmer and the bad farmer. Those eyes that pour out grace and love onto the whole earth. You see, we act and speak with love, not evil. We can be like our Heavenly Father. We can be like Jesus. And that's what Jesus is calling us to because he's been there and he was 
what we were meant to be. And he says, now you can go and do that same thing. Remember, Jesus' own words, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So don't lose your saltiness. Don't become tasteless. And don't let your light actually be darkness. Be perfect. Be mature in how you reflect God's love into this world. Just like Jesus and our Heavenly Father are mature in how they show love to this world. God bless and have a good week.